Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to MedHeads. And today we're very lucky to have with us Tiffany Cherry, broadcaster, businesswoman, and former physio. Hello, Tiff. How are you? Good morning, Fergal. Very well, thank you, on this sort of trying to be fine, sunny summer day. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a Melbourne summer. Yeah, I can see the blue skies and the sun splitting the skies there. But uh, thanks for joining us today. And thank I was... We, we've had a chat before about your various passions, and I was trying to summarize in my own mind, you know, what, what it is that you do, and I realized that I just can't do it. You, you are so varied in your passions and interests. And I suppose we've come up with a list of four things that, um, that we're going to talk about today. So it's, it's health, the environment, gender equality, and, and sports. But to, to, to understand why we've come up with that list, I suppose we need to understand what, a, a little bit about your journey. So can you tell us how you started out in life? Sure. Well, like all of us, um, probably, probably the same. However, I, like I grew up in a household very close to my dad, but grew up with, uh, in a single parent household with my older brother who was very much into sports as um, sort of both my parents were. And, and so I just naturally followed. So that's where the love of sports developed and we were quite a competitive family. So I was nearly four, I am nearly four years older, younger, sorry, than my older brother. So, um, and being a female, you know, it was uh, obviously I really had to step up to the mark to be competitive in any way, shape or form of which I probably wasn't half the time. But so that's sort of where it's always striving, you know, to, um, to be equal actually. and. Being the younger child, um, I found that I thought there was a lot of things that were unequal uh, with our family in that my brother got to do certain chores and I had to do what I considered to be female chores, which really riled me. Um, and he was also allowed to catch a train to go and see my dad. And I and when the age came that he was going to do that, um, I was told that I had to wait longer because I was a girl. And so all these things, obviously it was just because of security, um, you know, looking after me, but that sort of really planted a deep seated um, dislike for being um, unequal. And so then the sports developed and, and then being, just, sorry, one second, that's my dog. Rosie, Rosie, come here. No, shush. Um, and then the sport, the medical component of it, um, in my latter years as a, as, a, as a sports person, I started getting injured in high school and secondary school. And then I started going to see the physio. And I remember taking $40, which, you know, way back in 1988 or whatever it was, was a lot of money to see a physio. And all I could see was this cavalcade of sports stars walking in and out of the door. And I thought, wow, this is a great profession. You get paid a lot of money to meet your sports stars, um, idols. So I pursued it. Um, a career in physio for uh, mm. a few years, but sort of realized that my passion, um, I found that physio, you're cons consigned at that time to a room, um, treating someone, but 
I wanted to be out in the field and I really, and I, I loved just being outside and being with people and, um, and being in amongst it and, and uh, develop a real love for journalism. And one day I was studying physio and I saw a female for the very first time um, present the sports news on Sports World, which was my favourite show. And I, I had this epiphany and I said there and then that that's what I wanted to be and um, spoke to my then boyfriend and he said, well, you've got to, what are you going to do? And I said, well, actually, I've got to finish what I started, which was my physio. My mum had always taught me to do that. So I continued and finished my degree, which is a great thing because um, it really gave me a fabulous background um, into and also a foray and a pathway into becoming a sports journalist because back when I started, females weren't around. And so I was able to have a point of difference, which was my my medical um, understanding mm. of situations. And rather than you know being told you're not a you're not a, a footballer or an ex footballer, you can't. What do you know about the game? I was able to bring um, you know medical understanding um, that that ninety nine point nine percent of the footballers until Jared Healy came along didn't know about so that was how i yeah really i can imagine that you know talking about an acl tear and an afl player it wasn't common knowledge back then when no. uh yeah so you you were you were able to bring your medical knowledge to that yeah yeah and so yeah. that's it and then the environmental stuff really started post um when i finished um doing my full-time presenting with foxtel after the olympics and i was looking to sort of really take a step into the business world and I did an MBA on, on innovation and leadership and then I met um, I met a gentleman who I was introduced to via someone else because I was looking to do potentially a legal degree and then they sort of talked me out of it um, and talk, and I and I decided to do this MBA and then I did this board of directors course blah 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 and I met um, someone who introduced me to uh, the executive director of a group called C, which is the acronym um, for Sports Environment Alliance. So bringing sport and our environment together um, as an alliance, and it's all about protecting games um, and places where we play so that we have a future to continue to be able to play. And uh, and I just really, you know, started doing obviously a fair bit of research and work in our environmental issues sort of long before, I suppose, you know, the last couple of years when it's come to the fore. Um, and that's just been a, a real passion of mine now, you know, to be protecting our environment and um, especially where we're headed because it's, uh, it's you know, it needs, our, it needs all the help that we can give it. So from what I'm hearing, you find your why, you find the reason, your passion to, to get up in the morning. So tell, tell us about how you feel that health and environment uh, go hand in hand. Well, without... I mean, you cannot be healthy without a healthy environment. Really, mm. eventually, it'll the two combine, and and you know, it'll seep. It's like osmosis. It'll seep into one another. So, um, you know, when you think about all the health, all, all the health issues that are that are worldwide, and mm. so many environmental catastrophes. I mean, the health of our planet is paramount to us being able to live a healthy life to us being able to have water, um, you know, and, and rich soil so we can build, uh, so we mm. can grow crops and um, mm. water so we can drink and so our animals can be fed. And, um, you know, look, you could, that's a whole nother podcast really in itself to be speaking about from, you know, our environment um, and all the 
different issues that we need to address urgently. But, you know, I just think healthy body, healthy mind, um, healthy environment, it, it really, they all go hand in hand. And I suppose it also uh, speaks to the fact that the original word in Greek for gymnasium meant a garden. It was a place that you trained. And as you say, you know, we, we, we take our world for granted. And if we don't look after it, we're not going to have a garden to play in. We're not going to have mental yeah. health. We're not going to have physical health. And we're going to end up with, uh, you know, nutritional and uh, environmental diseases. So um, as you, coming from your background as a physio, um, your view on exercise as, as a way or as a gate towards healthy living. Tell me about that. To be active, and we learn when we're a physio or a, or a you know, doctor, when you do that medical component, I mean, the, you know, your muscles need to be stimulated. They need, um, your bones need to have actually, you know, pressure applied to them to be able to continue to be strong for them to, when they regenerate, for them to rebuild you know, the joints, your joints need to be lubricated, they need to move. Um, and your brain needs to have that stimulus, um, you know, and, and the ability to be able to feel free and to, um, you know, and to be able to give yourself a goal so you can attain that and, and you know, and to be able to rest. I mean, exercise is also very much about the rest in between giving your body that time to mm. regenerate, giving your mind that time to be calm um, and to be able to refocus. So yeah. it's, yeah, look, you know, the way the body works and you and I both know it, it's, and, and the average person who doesn't study, you know, hasn't studied what we've studied still understands that you need to move your body um, and you need to, you know, to apply pressure to it um, to, if you don't you know that whole saying if you don't use it you lose it so you need to there needs to be a tiny bit of pain or discomfort is more the word for you to continue to maintain you know a healthy a healthy body and you know another phrase that i've heard uh used by physios often is motion is lotion and yeah. uh, you know the, another phrase the that comes to mind yeah, the lubrication yeah of the joints yeah. exactly yeah and safe but sore is another phrase that I've heard. That's a difficult phrase to communicate to uh, yeah. sometimes to, to the general public that pain doesn't necessarily mean damage, especially chronic pain. So let's move on to your, your obvious passion for gender equality. I mean, you know, you were telling us a little bit about how growing up you felt that there was a certain inequality between how you were treated compared to your brother. And one of the things that, that, that struck me was that to pr you said that to prove that you were as good as your brother, you had to be better. That's what yes. I heard. Yes. Tell us about that. How does that, how does that influence your life? It's funny because I wasn't really aware, cognizant of saying it, but it's true. Um, <laughs> or maybe I just wanted down. to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> when you break it down, it doesn't really make sense. But, but I always felt that because he was older, he was bigger, he was stronger, and he so he was a boy, and there, and he also had this pass, um, rite of passage, more or less, because of his you know he was a boy, and he was older. I had to, I had to be as good as, if not better, to be um, recognised and noticed. And I think that transferred. I mean, most of the time I wasn't, but 
um, you know, and I adore my brother. Um, but I, but that transferred into my school life, I suppose. I went to a school. I went to a school that he went to that then um, became a co-ed school. So I was going to go to an all-girls school. Thankfully, I didn't. Um, and I went to Carey Grammar in uh, in Kew in Melbourne. Um, Why do you and say so, thankfully you didn't? Because I just I wanted to be around around guys. I, I wanted to be around boys, and and I think it's such an important. I mean, every each to their own. But for me, my development, you know, life is this mixture of men and women, and and now obviously transgender, and you know, a whole variety of of. Um, of nationalities and it's just this whole melting pot and i think if you just sort of if you um around or subjected to just one certain type to a degree then you know your development and your diversity and your understanding of your world um can be quite limited that's my take so yeah. um also given that there were guys you know around me i was striving so i'd been growing up to strive against these boys um, my brother and so it was it was fabulous like I loved the challenge I loved being able to strive next to them and um, and so then that transferred into my working life and then I chose to become a you know a, a sports journalist and then the, sort of the first female boundary writer of the AFL and you know and I remember being asked what's it like to be a female in the male changing rooms and I was like well I don't know what it's like to be a male in the male changing rooms I'm just in it but obviously my background had always been that I had to, I was striving always to be um, acknowledged to be as good as I was. And I do recall every weekend we, you know, I would, was working in a football game or a number of games. And I remember I used to print, which is terrible for the, our environment, but I used to print what I would refer to as half a tree. I would find every single article you could imagine um, on that game and on specific people and whatever. So I was really, really, really well-read and well-versed. And someone, I mean, Bruce McAvaney taught me that. So there's a guy, a lot of my mentors are guys um, mm. and fabulous men who really saw, you know, opportunities for females as well. Um, and I remember one of my um, bosses saying to me, my God, I didn't realize how much you prepare and how well-prepared you are. And I just really, re I remember that and I, looked at him and I said, well, I feel like I have to be doubly prepared to be um, accepted. And he looked at, and he nodded and he said, yes, you do. And so that was mm. back then, um, you know, it's not as much now, but I mean, you ask any female who's sort of breaking that glass ceiling, wow. positions of power, authority or whatever, they, they have to, you know, from in Australia, Julia Gillard, she talks about it. You know, you always feel like you have to be um, that much better prepared or that much better than your counterpart. It's, uh, it's just sort of how it's been, really, to be uh, acknowledged and accepted that, yes, you are as good as, if not better. So you, you were the first woman in the AFL. Your success hasn't, uh, you, you haven't sat on your laurels in that regard. You've, you're now giving a ladder out to people behind you, women behind you, to try and join you. Isn't that right? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, if you sit, sit on that sort of a generation's past and long ago, you know, <laughs> you could say once I was whatever, um, no one's going to know or care and, and nor should they really to a degree. So, um, no, I'm, I 
am really excited by helping people. I think, you know, that comes back to that caregiver, which is sort of why I initially chose being a physio. Um, and, you know, and I love, I, I noticed, realised uh, in my, you know, in the days of my career where I'd sort of, I suppose, made it as a success and, you know, and I was being invited to events and I used to be invited to a lot of um corporate golf days and I realized a lot of my friends didn't have the opportunities that I was being afforded you know mm. and they were fabulous to experience but I wanted to bring them along for the ride and I and I also was <clears throat> very aware that you know I'd been helped I'd put my hand up to be helped and I had people like uh, Bruce McAvaney and there was a number of others um you know who who reached out and, and saw in me a desire to succeed, I suppose, and and they gave me opportunities. You know, I still had to work hard for them, but but they but they recognised it and they um you know and they helped to open some doors, and so I want to be able to do that for for other women and also you know I've I've helped young men, teenagers, um, some are now in the industry, um you know, but really for, for females, I want to be able to give them opportunities that I know a lot of them don't get. And I know a lot of them, you know, it's really hard still, but it's getting better, a lot better. But I want to keep, continue to help accelerate that. And when the women's football started out, I was really, you know, and I still think it's absolutely brilliant, but I was looking to uh, really roll my sleeves up and get involved in that maybe, um, you know, in the business component of it. Um, and and then I had this idea that came to me. I've had my second epiphany when I was working at Richmond, back at Richmond Football Club as a their multimedia executive, which I just finished last year. And um, we had a, a local barista who would come every day, and he and he and I struck up a good friendship. And I'd go and chat with him, and um, and he said to me, "I've got an idea idea for you." And he told me this idea, and I had this epiphany. I was like, "Oh my God, you've just..." That's it. That's my next big thing. Um, and then I sort of had, as soon as he said it, it was like this lightning bulb, you know, went on and all fireworks went off and suddenly there was all these fireworks going off and I had all these different components of this idea that just came to me, bang, 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 bang. And so I've got a business that combines, a business idea that I'm working on that combines my love for sport, um, for our environment and for gender equality and giving females, mm. you know, opportunities. and. So that's sort of be, becoming my main focus now, but it doesn't pay any money. So I also, um, you know, obviously have a job that uh, that I'm really passionate about as well. And eventually I'll sort of switch over um, into my own business, hopefully. So your passion for gender equality and helping, especially women, up the ladder, uh, you, you, the vehicle that you've used before is Women's United, isn't it? Well, Women's United developed last year. It's a podcast. Um, I've, you know, had it like yourself. So this is a, obviously a great idea, great podcast, and have had uh, my own radio show and podcast as well. So this was one that people came to me. It spun off um, a men's version called Blokes United, which is hosted by Barry Hall and Sean Higgins, and also a guy called Richard Maloney, who's the brains behind it and the businessman behind it. And then he wanted to do a female version. So it's all about women helping women. For the men's, it was more sort of along the lines of mental health. Men, as you are well aware, um, you know, find it a lot 
more difficult on average to talk about their the issues that are affecting them. So it was a sort of really safe forum for them to be able to just discuss whatever fun things, hard things, you know, and a lot of people, men, a lot of us going through really difficult times during COVID-19 last year and that obviously that continues. So, um, and so this women's version spun off and I was asked to co-host it with a lady that I'd never worked with before, but she was a partner of a, a guy that I used to work with many years ago back at Richmond. Um, so sort of come full circle and, and yeah, it's a, we interview people, whether they be sports people or business people or um, bloggers or, you know, a, a whole variety of um, um, different fields. And yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really great space. Um, and I've never cried um, so much during interviews. And I don't say it, I'm, bore, I'm not sitting there bawling, but uh, I think it's just sort of really opened me up. And these interviews are just really genuine and heartfelt and people take mm. us to places that are pretty raw and um and it, you know it's about finding that motivation and, and sharing that with the community that's listening and watching it's really awesome i think that's a really important point to make is that we i think we underestimate the power the therapeutic power that conversation has being able to talk about how you feel it can be so healing and as you've said men are useless at it and so you know that you know the, the, the fact that there is a forum called men's united that can actually provide that forum is, is a great thing but women are better at it but still that doesn't mean they don't need the forum so the forum no. that that facilitates conversations that allows people to share their pain actually on a humanistic level is one of the most important ways that we can actually overcome trauma and develop and build up resilience. And you know, as, as you've already alluded to, you know, 2020 has been a was a was a particularly challenging year. I mean, you know, what what can you share with us some of your experiences of how traumatic it has been for some people in 2020? Well, you hear about a lot of people um, losing, you know, their livelihoods. Um, people committing suicide, and how this just this breaks my heart is, you know, loved ones um, dying alone. Mm. Um, my my brother had his second baby. He, he and my sister in law had their second baby, and you know they couldn't take their first child in to the hospital for whatever, however many days it was. I didn't actually even see uh, my niece, you know, until she was six or seven months old. Now that happens when you live in, the, in another country, but that was just because the borders were closed. And so it's all those things. Um, personally, I like actually a number of my friends found the first part of the lockdown really good. I needed to slow down. I wanted a bit of time just to sit um, and still work, but just to get off the treadmill of life that I thought was just going crazy and so many I've had this discussion with so many people and they've concurred um, very similar conversations actually similar thoughts the second one was pretty hard um, you know I mean more or less being under house arrest for however many once months it was I found it really hard with my daughter who was five she's just turned six and so she had only me and you know and I'm really active and got a a young mind like I play a lot with her and stuff but in in essence she just 
I was everything. I was her teacher. I was her play friend. I was her parent, her disciplinarian, everything. And that and and I note I saw her really struggle. Um, you know, for a five year old to to sort of start to get go into depression for a couple of weeks was horrendous, and not being able to really do anything about it. I couldn't even take it to a playground. So, you know, that was that's my story or our story. I mean, everyone has everyone has a story and, um, you know, for, for many people it was 10 times worse or more. Um, but, you know, it was it, but it taught us resilience. It taught us different ways. It taught us to do things better. It taught us that, yes, I believe there was a, there was a treadmill that we needed to step off. And before you step back on it again, mm. what did we learn in that time when we sat and we thought and we processed? Um, you know, how do you make things better for yourself and for your family and for those around you and for our environment? And so, it, it was a it was a time, perhaps we had to have. Um, it's hard to say, but you know, it's it's they're unprecedented times, and there's we don't still don't know what's around the corner, and it just seems to be getting crazy in some parts of the world as we know so mm. you just take it I, day by day and yeah yeah i'm not convinced that uh the the vaccine that uh, is now beginning to roll out in australia and other countries i'm not convinced that it's going to automatically return us to our lives such as they were pre-covid i mean i think the impact on uh, high density housing and city living and city life city business is going to be longer lasting than that and i think as you say as, as you've said you know you find you know the first lockdown somewhat advantageous i think there are people who have benefited from from um, lockdown and people who have of course suffered horrendously but i think that regions will be more attractive to people and working from home will be more of an option for yep. people in the future and i think that that will irrevocably change um uh, how we how we live and work in, in Australian society, and I think that's a tale that COVID's going to have. Now, is yeah. that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I'm not so sure. I, I don't. I, I I haven't made my mind up whether or not you know everyone working from home is a good thing. Well, I it's think, easier for me when there's in, no traffic on the roads. But you know. I look. I've been working from home for a few years, or, or, or a combination of. I think a combination is fantastic. I, I really. It's about you know, as a doctor, you prescribe everything in moderation. So working five days a week in an office, you know, sometimes you, you don't need to be there. You can, do, you can be so much more productive at home. Why not have two or three days at home? It allows you to be able to, especially if you're a carer, to be able to, you know, do the, the chores that need to be done and, and have, the, have a, a proper meal on the table rather than, you know, sort of snack food or, and I'm not saying that people didn't, but it just, it really stretched us and then come into work you know two days a week for those meetings that really need to be face to face and and also for that social interaction which is so important mm. so that's i think for many many workers and businesses it also saves you money it also is less stress on our environment how many people fly around the world or fly to sydney or fly mm. to here or just for a meeting when they we've realized we can do it via yeah. zoom or whatever it might be i mean yeah. how much impact are we how much are we polluting our world yeah. just for the sake of doing stuff because that's how it was done i mean you know anything that that's disruptive um 
is changing a system that's been around for a long time. And I think our system needed a big major upheaval and it got it, yeah. not in a way that we wanted, but it got it, you know, it was coming anyway, but certainly wasn't coming that fast. Yeah, I can really only speak with any great expertise about the medical uh, profession and the impact of COVID on medicine has been significant, apart from, of course, the overwhelming uh, demand for medical services. But it's introduced uh, teleprescribing and telehealth, which you know people were talking about for years, but finally it's yeah. actually happened. Yeah. And it happened very yeah. quickly um, as yeah. a result of COVID. But, you know, we, we, we've agreed then that, you know, the COVID has changed our world, you know, in ways that we would never have uh, been able to predict. Do you think that COVID has or will change the glass ceiling that you so obviously struggle against on behalf of your other female friends and colleagues? It was changing anyway, but I think COVID has, has done in hmm. pretty much everything across every industry. It's accelerated it. Definitely, yeah. um, because the, it comes to a point that where there's no BS, you know what that word is. So you know you just get on, you get on with it, and you just do it rather than yeah. all the red tape and all the war. Hang, how come? How come? Why? Then this and that and what? It's just like just to step up and just do it. And so yeah. whether you be a male or a female or you know um, whatever nationality or, um, or or sway or whatever it might be. You just step up to the plate, and so, um, and 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 you and you know, by way of just situation, you, you just have to do the job, and so um, eventually, then people's opinions of, you know, attitudes uh, change because they say, well, this person's been doing this for a certain amount of time, and they've done as good a job, if not better. Um, and you know, when I studied my MBA, the, the innovation and leadership, we studied this is really I guess 2015, so the world's changed so much in that time. It was really a couple of years before the whole gender equality movement really got ramped up. And I think in Australia that was ramped up um, really by the AFL's decision to accelerate the AFLW to 2017. I don't think they didn't certainly didn't see it as that this was going to happen, but every other sport needed to pull up its socks that had women, otherwise they're going to lose them to, you know, to AFLW. Um, and then that sort of permeated again then into business because obviously businesses were, you know, were now looking at this opportunity um, and then it was a major part of discussion and then it was, you know, people started looking at, well, hang on, what about our workplace and what about um, our place of education and what about whatever it might be. But, uh, yeah, I really just see um, COVID as, as being the conduit for faster change. Um, but the change was has really been happening. I, you know, I think since uh, twenty seventeen. And when I did my study, you know, diversity, we studied the top one hundred businesses in the world, and all of them, from ranked down from one to one hundred, um, had the most outstanding diversity policies. They, the way they treated their workforce was, you know, back back in five or six years ago, people were like, oh, you can't give. The autonomy to people for people your you know your employees to work from home you can't give them the autonomy because they won't work for you they won't do the job properly mm. they won't well we've just seen that you that people do in fact they people work do. harder if you yeah. give them that opportunity give them that faith and that trust um yeah so it was it was for my you know as soon as i finished that that start my study i was like well diversity is 
it's whether you like it or not, it's actually proven to be, um, you know, to deliver the best results commercially, which is why businesses exist in the first place. They provide a service, but they provide a service to create money, you know, for um, for the shareholders. So it yeah. just so doesn't, what I'm it hearing doesn't make is diver I'm hearing that diversity is commercially viable. It actually improves the bottom dollar. <laughs> Hundred percent, and it's incumbent yeah. on a board to not have a diverse yeah. um, board and a diverse, you know, business structure. Yeah. So, Tiff, we've run out of time, sadly, but I really want to thank you for your taking the time to chat with us, and thank you for giving us your pearls of wisdom on such a wide <laughs> array of subjects. There's only one adjective that I can use about you, and that has to be multi-talented. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Fergal. Medheads, love it. Um, and thanks for having me on board. I really appreciate your time. That's it for today's Medheads. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. We'll see you next time.